0: Gracious God, we ask your blessing upon us as we study the book of Jeremiah. We thank you for those gathered here today. Pray that you'd bless our listening, our conversation, and our learning, and that you would speak a word to us about our call in and through this wonderful book. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so just a little bit of background before we go into Jeremiah chapter one. This is the first prophetic book that we are studying uh, as a group, and it is a long book. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to break it up into pieces because Jeremiah can be a little redundant, not the first preacher known for being a little redundant and repetitive. Uh, So we're going to try and not cover the same ground multiple times. The thing to know about the book of Jeremiah from the outset is that it reflects the covenant theology of ancient Israel. And what I mean by that is we recall after God sets the people free from Egypt and leads them out into the desert there is the giving of the law and all the blessings and the curses that come with either keeping the law or not keeping the law. So, for instance, in Deuteronomy 28, Moses says, If you will only obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all these commands, the Lord will set you high above all the nations, and all the blessings will come upon you if you obey. But if you do not obey what I'm commanding you today— then all these curses shall overtake you. Basically, the blessings and the curses of the covenant, that if we keep the covenant, we experience blessing. And if we fail to keep the covenant, a curse falls upon us. And this is not like God rewards us for good behavior and punishes us for bad behavior. It's more like whenever you live your life in accordance with the principles of life, Things work out a little bit better, but whenever you ignore how reality actually is, then that leads to a more painful experience of life. You know, if I um, go to a 10 story building and just say to myself, you know what, gravity is not a thing, I'm going to walk on the air and I step off that building. God is not punishing me by allowing me to fall to the ground. I'm just experiencing the curse of not being in a covenantal relationship with reality. I'm not honoring the fact that gravity exists. And there's something about God's covenant with his people that God says, whenever you align your life with how things actually are, as I'm giving it to you in this covenant, things are going to go well. But if you don't, things won't go well. And by the time we get to the book of Jeremiah, the people are not following the covenant And Jeremiah's main message is things are about to not go well for you. We have this nation called Babylon. They're coming and they're going to take you into exile. So it's time to, you know, come to terms with that and repent. And so the covenant and all the warnings and blessings around the covenant are all in the background of Jeremiah's message. And of course, his message is you have been unfaithful. Israel and Judah's infidelity to the covenant is part of Jeremiah's message. And so Jeremiah's job is to convict the people of this reality, to call them to repentance, to help them deal with the reality of exile, but also to offer a word of what renewal and restoration might look like. And so if we're to break Jeremiah up into a few different themes. There is the calling for repentance and the naming of specific sins that the people are committing. There is talking about what the coming destruction is going to look like with Babylon sweeping in. And then of course, there's going to be a vision of hope and restoration that is offered. And so a lot of the complex social, political, and religious dynamics of ancient Judah are going to be in the background of this book. It's gonna lead uh, need a little bit more uh, teaching and unpacking when we get to those sections uh, in terms of when Jeremiah prophesied um, um uh, a lot of this uh, is tied to Josiah's reign and the you know, 600-ish BC, Um, but Jeremiah had, uh, Jeremiah prophesied over a long period of time with with various um, kings of Judah, which we're going to see from the opening chapter, and his message was never well received, Jeremiah was never very popular, and he was often mistreated and abused by the very people he was sent to preach to, and so it raises some interesting questions around uh, what does faithfulness look like? Was Jeremiah successful as a prophet? Uh, and what does it mean to be faithful to God's word when no one around you really gives a flip? And and more than that, uh, not only do they not care, they're mad at you for speaking the truth, okay? So that's what I'll say to tee this up. I'm gonna share my screen here and ask my trusted... Um, lector um ev to read if i can just find the right um text okay can you see that jeremiah one yes all right
1: the words of jeremiah son of hilkiah of the priests who were in anathoth in the land of benjamin to whom the word of the lord came in the days of king josiah son of ammon of judah In the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, "Ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, now I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot tilted away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, out of the north disaster shall break out on all the inhabitants of the land. For now I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord, and they shall come, and all of them shall set their thrones at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its surrounding walls, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them for all their wickedness and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, gird up your loins, stand up and tell them everything that I command you. Do not break down before them, or I will break you before them. And I, for my part, have made you today a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you.
0: All right. So um, we start off with um, the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, uh, of the priests in Anathos. So he is of a priestly family in the land of Benjamin. And the word of the Lord came to jo- to Jeremiah in the days of King Josiah, And for those of you who don't know a lot about Israel's history, rather Judah's history, Josiah was um, a king who was remembered as a good king. And and if you've read the history of Israel and Judah, um, uh, you know that most of the kings of Israel were not remembered as good kings uh, and that some of the kings of Judah were. And for those of you who just need a little refresher um, kind of in the days of Solomon or shortly after Solomon, ten tribes um kind of uh are of the north and and they're often called Israel and then the southern tribes and and specifically uh, Judah. Uh, there's a, there's a split and that split uh, is a defining mark in the people's life and the northern tribes, the northern kingdom. Um, they're really kind of wiped out by Assyria. And um the um the the narration of that is that it's it's because of the people's unfaithfulness. And so Judah then is seen as like this faithful remnant. Um, but the question is, will Judah uh, will they be faithful? And King Josiah was one of those kings who wanted the people to return to the covenant in order to be faithful. Um, but um It wasn't just his reign where Jeremiah prophesied, there were other kings uh, as well. And so we're told at the beginning, this is a long tenure as a prophet. Um, In verse two, the word of the Lord came uh, to Jeremiah and the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, the word translated word is logos. And so the logos came to Jeremiah and that's significant Because in John uh, chapter one, we're told in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was God, the word was with God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the word of the Lord and the biblical tradition, especially the New Testament tradition is the logos, the second person of the Trinity. And I just think it's important to name that as Christians that the early church fathers, when we talk about the word of the Lord we're always talking about how, uh, the son of God in a veiled way, uh, is coming to the prophets and speaking. Um, and so this word of the Lord that Jeremiah speaks will later be seen, uh, in more, uh, divine terms, uh, by the new Testament writers, but the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and, um, that word is this before I formed you in the womb, I knew you two significant Hebrew words are the words formed and new. And so that word formed shows up in the book of Genesis when God forms the Adam, uh, the Adam from the the dirt. Uh, It is a word tied to God's creative power Uh, God's desire to create and to bring new things into existence, but it brings the reader back to the book of Genesis. And then that word new, uh, the Hebrew is yada. It is a word that is about uh, intimacy, intimate knowledge. Um, And so in the Western tradition, whenever we know something, we're primarily talking about our intellect. But in Hebrew, Whenever you know someone, you know them intimately, you know them from the inside out. And so this idea of being formed by God and known by God is the first thing God says to God's people. And that's really, really significant. Um, God says to Jeremiah, before you were born, I consecrated you. The Hebrew word there is hagios, it's tied to holiness, uh, or maybe Hagios is the Greek. I'm trying to think what the Hebrew is, uh, but it's about being made holy. And so um, that's important because Jeremiah is from a priestly family that's all concerned about holiness. And so here it is the call of God, being formed by God, being known by God, that is the foundation of our holiness in this uh, theological vision. And we're told that Jeremiah is a prophet to the nations. Not the nation, not the nation of Israel, not the nation of Judah, but that's a word that speaks to the Gentiles. And so the expansive scope of God's call, um, that is um, kind of named from the very beginning as who Jeremiah is being sent to. Uh, and, and we have this word show up all over in the Old Testament. The most prominent place is going to be Isaiah When Israel's vocation is stated as I will give you to a as a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And so here the hope being offered and the word of repentance being preached, it's actually not exclusively to the people of Judah, but really to the whole world. And at the very end of the book of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah actually speaks directly to other nations. And so the word of the God of, of, of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, and like all prophets, Jeremiah basically says, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a boy. He makes an excuse, really, and says, I'm not qualified for this call. Uh, Moses says the same thing. Gideon says the same thing. Uh, Peter, when he's called by Jesus, says the same thing. And this really introduces a biblical theme that whenever God calls us, our first response is often to feel inadequate and to basically say, I'm not qualified, choose someone else. But God never accepts that excuse. He says to Jeremiah, you know, don't say I'm only a boy. Um, I'm gonna equip you for the work that you're called to do. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you to deliver you. And um, this this verse of do not be afraid, for I am with you, Um, do not be afraid is the most commonly repeated commandment in all of Scripture. And I am with you is the most commonly repeated kind of word of assurance. And so there's a sense in which Jeremiah 1.8 really captures the whole biblical hope, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And that's going to be the word that ultimately, uh, behind all the calls to repentance, uh, beyond all the bad news of destruction coming, that's ultimately going to be the word that God wants to speak to all the nations and to the people of Judah. Uh, but there's going to be a lot to do before we get there. Um this verse of I'm with you to deliver you, it's going to raise interesting questions about what is deliverance because Jeremiah, again, will not have a very successful ministry in traditional terms. Uh, He will be persecuted. He will be beaten. Um, But of course, so is Jesus, right? And, And Jesus's deliverance was ultimately on the third day. And so, you know, in the same way, um, that Jesus was not uh, applauded left and right, and ultimately, his life ended in crucifixion. Jeremiah will not be martyred or executed, but just about anything else someone can do to you, they'll do to Jeremiah. He's going to have a really, really hard life. And it raises questions for us about, you know, what is deliverance? What is God's deliverance when things in our life are not working out? um what does it mean that God's going to deliver us whenever we get the diagnosis? Because uh, we we might actually succumb to the illness, and at some point, an illness or something will take our life. What does deliverance look like whenever the news is bad? Because for Jeremiah and the people of Israel, you know, throughout this book, the news is going to be bad. And so, what does God's deliverance look like? That's a question raised um, by this opening chapter. And so the Lord in verse nine puts out his hand and touches Jeremiah's mouth. God does something very similar uh, to the prophet Isaiah at the beginning of that prophetic word, and basically says, i put my words in your mouth. And so Jeremiah is sent not with his own wisdom, not with his own words, but he's sent with the words of God. And likewise, whenever we go out into this world, you know, uh, responding to any divine call, we don't go with our wisdom. We don't go with our words. We're always discerning what is the word of God being spoken through me. Um, Jeremiah is appointed over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. You know, so often we think of the work of God as only being the building and the planting um but uh there's also the plucking up and the pulling down uh the destroying and overthrowing this makes me think of what john the baptist says um about the coming of the messiah we have this reading in advent every year where it says even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire um this destroying and overthrowing it's not meant to be applied to particular people like carl i hate him god's going to destroy and overthrow carl he's always been a jerk it's more like what in my heart needs to be plucked up and pulled down so that god can build and plant something new that's really the question right and so um whenever we think about the work that God's going to do in our world, in our life, we we don't just hope for God to build and to plant. We have to ask, what does God need to pluck up and pull down? You know, think about that in some of your relationships. Is there a dynamic that needs to be plucked up and pulled down so that God can build and plant something new? Jeremiah's going to, you know, raise those questions as well. And so the word of the Lord basically tells Jeremiah Um, I'm going to send you and then shows him an almond tree. And this is where, you know, some of the context is often lost uh, on us. The almond tree in ancient Israel, this was one of the first trees to bloom in the spring. Uh, Its flowers would appear before the leaves appeared. And so in terms of ancient Israelite kind of culture, the almond tree was a symbol of speed. It's a symbol of early blossoming, and this really speaks to God's watchfulness and his desire to fulfill his word quickly. Uh, It was pointed out on Sunday that it's also a good metaphor for Jeremiah, that he's going to have to bloom before he's ready, uh, because he's just a boy, and he's being sent uh, with this hard message to the rulers of Israel. And so in a sense, uh, the almond tree represents God's desire for his word to blossom quickly. It also speaks to Jeremiah being asked to bloom perhaps before he's ready. But of course, that's also true for all of us. I mean, are any of us ever fully ready? Are we equipped to do the thing God is asking us to do? And so that almond tree kind of speaks to our call as well which is that we have to bear fruit, we have to blossom uh, before we think we're actually ready. And so in verse 14, the Lord says to Jeremiah, out of the north, disaster shall break out. Uh, We're gonna find out quickly that this is a reference to the kingdom of Babylon, this growing kingdom led by King Nebuchadnezzar, who is conquering all these different peoples. And uh, that disaster is going to come in the form of another nation. In verse 15, we're told they're going to set their thrones at the entrance of Jerusalem. And so a foreign nation setting their thrones speaks to a foreign king ruling over them. And this is traumatic, right? So do you remember the last foreign king the people had was called Pharaoh? Pharaoh was not a very nice foreign king. And God's liberation was from a foreign king. And uh, if we recall the history of the people of Israel, um, for a while, the people had no king. And uh, then they look around and they want to be like the other nations and the other nations all had a king. And so uh, the people go to the prophet Samuel and basically say, uh, all these other nations have a king. We want to be like them. So let's have God give us a king. And uh, God is not crazy about the idea. And Samuel's not crazy about the idea. And they're not crazy about the idea because God is supposed to be their king, right? They're supposed to be distinct, holy, not like the other nations. God was to be their king. But eventually the people persist. Um, The prophet gives in. And the first king given to Israel is Saul. And Saul is not a great king. Uh, after Saul comes David. After David comes Solomon. After Solomon comes the division, uh, kind of the civil war, where the north goes one way, the south goes a different way, and you have two different peoples with two different sets of kings. But as we read the history of Israel um, in the books, First and Second Kings, we know that most kings were abusive. Not all, but most kings were abusive. Um, they mimicked other worldly kings and they led their people into idolatry. And that is what happened um, to Judah. Uh, And we see that in verse 16. Um, I will utter my judgments against them for all their wickedness. They have made offerings to other gods and they have worshiped the works of their own hands. And so foreign kings will now come in and rule over the people because the people's own kings have led the people into idolatry. And so all this raises a larger question of who is the people's true king? Who is supposed to be the king of the people, right? This is about the kingdom of God. So who's the king? And of course, that answer—the uh, the answer to that question—is answered very creatively, I think, by the New Testament, with the true King riding in to Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday to great fanfare, only to be crucified uh, a couple of days later. Um, but here, we're told that a foreign king will rule over them, um, and so that's all very, very bad news. It's bad news from beginning to end. Uh, Not not really from beginning to end, but it's bad news at the beginning. Um, Jeremiah is basically told, you know, your message is to go and give people this this bad news. But then it ends once again. I'm with you, says the Lord to deliver you.